1: Well, it's not TV, it's HBO. And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? And some might cheer and some might scoff because it's Damon Lindelof. But either way, we're off to watch some Watchmen. Watching Watchmen. Talking Watchmen, analyzing Watchmen, and maybe arguing over Watchmen.
0: Who watches The Watchmen? We watch Watchmen. You watch Watchmen. We all watch Watchmen all at the same time, simultaneously, you might say, because all things are happening at the same time. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are going to be talking about the penultimate episode of the first season, Ah. presumably the first season, of Watchmen, a show on HBO. I like that that confidence.
1: I like that confidence there.
0: (laughs) I mean, listen, we talked about this a little bit on the bonus podcast, but there's almost no way... That they're not going to want
1: to do a second season. Just the question is if it's actually going to happen at this point, I think, right? show's too successful. I mean, I agree with you. But, I mean, this episode was evidence that they're putting it all on the table. Uh, you're going to have to get a little creative yeah. for a second season.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were pretty uncreative this season. So they'll definitely like have to amp up the creativity for the second season.
1: You for God's sakes, put an idea out there.
0: Right. Come on, buddy. We're going to be talking to be uh, about uh, A God Walks Into A Bar. Now, there were some questions about the name of this episode. It was originally put out there as A God Walks Into A Bar, but I think it's pretty clear based on the title in the episode, and I believe also what they submitted to the Writers Guild to register the script was A God Walks Into A Bar is the actual title of the episode. So I want to ask you something, Justin. We'll get into a recap of what's happened previously as well as walking through the whole episode. Do you think they came up with the name Cal Abar and Angela Abar just for this
1: one joke? I do. I do think that. It's, a, it's like a not uh, common name, so I think it was uh, specifically made for this. Like, I bet the, the, uh, all the wordplay came first and they backed into having her name be Angela mm-hmm. Abar.
0: That's how you construct a good pun, though. You come up with the punchline, and then you figure out what the setup is. So there you go. The best uh, puns it exist. Is, I did look ex-
1: this, ex- <laughs> the best puns exist at all times, and you have to uh, mm. you just experience them your entire life. Exactly. Uh, I did look it up
0: because I wanted to make sure, but Abar is an actual surname. Uh, it's most prevalent in Syria, and the highest density is in Djibouti. Um, which is interesting because uh, Doc Manhattan has a nice Djibouti as well. Wow, that's a great point. And that Thank pun you. exists
1: at all places in all times as well. Right. I actually started with that
0: pun and then worked backwards to the facts, so there you go. All right, let's... Give a recap of what's happened so far. There's actually, I think, only three main characters who really need to know about this episode, who are Adrian Veidt, Dr. Manhattan, a.k.a. Cal Abar, big spoiler there if you haven't been keeping up with the show, and Angela Abar. Let's start with Adrian Veidt. Adrian Veidt is a vigilante, superhero, whatever you want to call him, known as Ozymandias, the smartest man in the world. Back in the 1980s, he pulled off an ingenious plan to stop the world from a nuclear from annihilating itself through uh, the nuclear threat, specifically Russia and the United States tensions were building. And the way that he did it is he concocted an incredibly elaborate plan involving an alien squid that he had created. It wasn't an actual alien squid that he dropped in times square. The resulting psychic blast killed over 3 million people and sent out a story that interdimensional invaders were invading our dimension. Now, as we found out, He was somewhat successful. There's not a nuclear threat necessarily, but otherwise society has pretty much moved on. It has continued. Uh, There are still squid rains every once in a while, but people seem very laissez-faire, lackadaisical about them as they
1: happen. It's just a little squid rain. Yeah. Squid rain. Sleet sleet is like squid rain for us. It's just like, well, it's sleeting out. I'll tell you what, I was walking through
0: some hail the other day. It was very sharp on my face. I would have rather being hit by squids.
1: Tiny squids, yeah. Yeah, tiny squids.
0: Uh, Now, we don't know what we find out this episode, but we didn't know what happened to Adrian Vite, between that point and the point in time that we were following on the Watchmen TV show, other than he disappeared, where he actually went to, is Europa, a moon of Jupiter, and there he has been living in a paradise that has turned into a nightmare for him as multiple clones of beings called Phillips and Crookshanks have seemed to serve him, but he has tried to escape multiple times he left a message made of their corpses outside on the moon outside of the habitat, but was captured by a man named uh, the games not the games maker, the game the game warden. warden. Gay Morden, who was another clone of Phillips. Uh, he was put on trial, didn't say anything in his defense, and was ultimately imprisoned. And that's where we left him. There's other questions about him that we'll probably get to as we talk about the episode, but that's the main thing you need to know. The other two main players in here are Angela Abar and Cal Abar, aka Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan, just to mention, is a big blue guy. He is a white guy from the comics. uh, (laughs) And he, as far as we knew, left for Mars at the end of the book, but sort of threw out a couple of things, specifically, hey, maybe I'll create my own life. That might be an interesting thing to do. Uh, He is an all-powerful superhero, or seemingly all-powerful superhero, though as we talked about on our podcast with the comic book he's not as powerful as people think
1: no he's not a god per se he just he has control of atoms and he can rearrange them to construct things but he's not uh he's not not as powerful as he thinks and he's also not as like he's not like god i gotta live god Mm -hmm. i gotta find a way to survive here (laughs) he's just like ah this is whatever he's very laissez-faire to use your word about uh what he's thinking He is also
0: he is uh, he has self-awareness about his own timeline. He exists in every moment in his own timeline simultaneously, but he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything about everybody at all times. He only knows what is happening to him, as well as a lot of other stuff that he can figure out based on the fact that he can read Adams and other things like that.
1: His life is just a movie that he's seen before. Yes, it's like that
0: song from the Muppet movie. Life's like a movie, keep believing, etc.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I think the show is referencing. And if you play that song with this episode, it syncs up perfectly.
0: Oh, shit, that's fucked up, man. So the other thing that you probably need to know about Dr. Manhattan, as we found out the last episode, he has been hiding out in the body of a guy named Cal Abar, who we find out a lot more about that this episode and exactly what was going on, but that was the presumption. She uh, hit him on the head with a hammer and pulled the device out and said, hey, baby, we're in fucking trouble. And that's where we end the episode. Now, the she I'm talking about is Angela Abar, who is the wife of Cal Abar. Angela Abar is a cop-based in Tulsa. She grew up in Vietnam. She was orphaned at a very young age, grew up in an orphanage, was almost taken out of the orphanage by her grandmother, June. But her grandmother, June, had a heart attack uh, as she was taking her to leave. And so Angela grew up in Vietnam, became a cop in Vietnam. But when we picked up with her on the show, she was living in Tulsa, and Tulsa had experienced an event called the White Knight. The White Knight is what a group called the 7th Cavalry, which is a bunch of racists that have adopted the vigilante Rorschach's teachings in the most extreme ways possible. Uh, they are building a plan to capture Dr. Manhattan, take his powers and essentially become blue superpowered racists and push forward the white agenda of the world. You're laughing, yep. but that's Just what same.
1: To very casually say, they're going to become blue superpowered racists. You know. is uh, It's a funny thing that <laughs> I, we're very I mean, listen, ca- casually saying. Every TV show hits that plot line
0: eventually. I remember when they hit it on Grey's Anatomy, and I was like, come on, guys. This old chestnut.
1: Yeah. It's a classic Grey's Anatomy plot point.
0: Yes. So uh, Angela found out a little bit about this plan uh, from... Lady True, who doesn't play into this episode, but she is a trillionaire who has followed on the teachings of Adrian Veidt. She ran back to her house, hit Cal with a hammer. That's when she says the hey, baby, we're in fucking trouble. And we glimpsed in the last episode that it didn't seem that Angela noticed a bunch of the Seventh Cavalry are right outside of her house. That's pretty much everything you need to know and everything else I think we'll pick up with as we walk through the episode
1: so That's let's get into it. it. Yeah. Well, we also, should also say Lube Man vanished into um, the uh, sewer <laughs> system, and they're going to pick that up in Season 2, Episode 1.
0: Absolutely. He's going to slide right in there, the old silver slipper himself. Nice uh, now, as uh, it starts right off from the beginning, they tell you exactly what is going to happen here when the Watchman logo switches from yellow to blue. This is yeah. the Dr. Manhattan episode. This is the flashback episode. One thing I want to ask you up front, which I was curious to get your take on, Justin, Dr. Manhattan is a insanely hard character to write that works very well on the page. Clearly, the way that Alan Moore wrote him and Dave Gibbons draws him, we get a bunch of different Dr. Manhattan things. But there's a main Dr. Manhattan issue where we see how he lives his life simultaneously at all points, and I feel like it makes a lot of sense on the page because you're able to look at several panels at once. You're essentially able to see several realities at the same time. That's not how TV works unless they're doing a split screen, and that's not the choice they make here, but we still get to see Dr. Manhattan jumping through time. Overall, how did the conceit work for you?
1: I thought it was great. I thought... They were smart in the way they um shot, uh, especially the beginning of the episode, where it was all like close up shots. He never got to see Doctor Manhattan um and his full body except for sort of sparingly throughout the episode and so it played like comic book panels and then the the when you actually get to see him, that's like the larger splash pages and I mean you get into more standard uh looking scenes. So I thought that helped to uh, shake up the way that we're perceiving reality and just the way they jumped around and how everything sort of rhymed with each other. And we saw the pieces in sort of the way we needed to to understand what was happening, despite the fact that it wasn't the actual chronological order. All very smart. And I thought it amounted to such a sweet, like bittersweet end to the episode that I thought was fantastic.
0: Yeah, this is, I definitely want to take credit for this. There's a great writer over at Vanity Fair named Joanna Robinson, and she sent out a tweet after the last episode, but I, I know she was talking about this one as well, where she did a still from Lost, a still from The Leftovers, and a still from Watchmen. And the text was, my favorite romance author is Damon Lindelof. And I think that's absolutely true here he only co-wrote the episode this is with jeff jensen who was an ew writer back in the day he used to write these insanely long insanely complex and detailed loss recaps uh but this is a romance story the entire time and an absolutely beautiful one at that
1: yeah it it because it because the um the narrative bits are out of order um it may not seem like a natural natural like way to tell the story, but emotionally it heightens like perfectly to the the last couple of moments of the episode mm-hmm. that obviously we'll get to, but the the emotional heightening is so good, and you get to really see them fall in love even though it's out of order, which is great. Yeah,
0: very, very cool stuff. Uh, now, I, I don't know if you want to walk us through it. I mostly took uh, some Easter egg and other notes, Justin.
1: Oh great. so why don't you handle the Easter stuff? You handle the little chocolates and the little <laughs> eggs, and I'll handle the rest of the holidays. Okay? Basically, you're the host, and I'm the child who comes in and says, give me jelly beans. Yeah, you're like, I have chocolate now, and this chocolate is a reference to um, Dave Gibbons' art. Um, but yeah, uh, let's walk into it. Uh, like you said, a um, uh, God walks into a bar, the fact that there's no space in it, uh, in mm-hmm. the text, as Dr. Manhattan walks through it. I thought that was uh, cool and a little bit of like, in your eye, idiots. It's been right in front of your face the whole time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were very clear about it. And it's funny, it even says on HBO's sh- site, and I'm not sure if they'll change it after the airing, but it has the space between A and bar. But it's not that way in the show at no. all.
1: Ballsy. They're, they're very I love clear it. about
0: what it is. Uh, the other things probably to mention just right about this first scene as... Uh, Dr. Manhattan walks into the bar. Uh, it's on VVN day, which is a mm-hmm. uh, victory in Vietnam day. I think we've established. They never yes. specifically say that, but that seems to be, I think that's what you astutely. That pointed was, probably. guess, yeah. uh, And so this is the same day that Angela's parents died, as she notes later on in the episode, because they were also killed on a much earlier VVN day. Also, it's the same place that her grandmother died. Now, this is something that we didn't really touch on, but in the shot of her grandmother dying, as young Angela walks around the car, there's a mural of Dr. Manhattan in the background. And we see the mural of Dr. Manhattan has devil horns painted on it and a devil goatee. And it's generally been defaced because the Vietnamese people have a very complicated relationship with Dr. Manhattan. What with him, Destroying them and winning the Vietnam War for America But it's even more defaced here Like even the devil horns have been washed away Clouds have been added And more graffiti on it Which I thought was kind of interesting And clearly Angela is coming back here To the place where her grandmother died To have a drink But the other interesting thing is They're having a drink at Mr. Eddie's Bar Which I think has to be named after the comedian, right?
1: I would think I mean, why not? Right why would it not uh, be that Yeah The other
0: thing that he does Which is important That they don't really Touch out of the episode And it's fascinating to me That they don't go back To this point Though I imagine It's because it's well-trod In the comic book Is he grabs two beers In very high glasses they, you're, you're a bartender Or we're a bartender uh, What are mm-hmm. the name Of the high glasses For beer Is there a specific name
1: Or uh, I think they're called Beer glasses <laughs> Okay I mean I would call those You could say Pilsner glasses maybe Okay yeah, so he grabs he two pills so glass. Yeah. glasses.
0: Yeah, uh, and brings them back to her. They are the exact same shape and type of beer that he used to grab with Jenny Slater, which was his first, well, last human girlfriend before he died and was reborn as Dr. Manhattan. And a lot of this is really riffing on that. There was something that uh, Jeff Jensen, again, I believe, posted up before the episode, where he's like, Dr. Manhattan bars a history, and there is... There's the bar where Eddie Blake killed the pregnant woman that he impregnated and Dr. Manhattan was just standing watching. There's Jenny Slater and him who got drinks on uh, New Year's Eve, I think it was, at a bar, and they get beer like that. So it's the same sort of thing. Like you've you've been using the word rhyming a lot, and I think that's absolutely correct. That's essentially what we're doing here. Uh, And then he sits down with Angela. But I I do have another question for you, which I wasn't 100 percent sure about. Is that Yahya Abdul-Mateen in The Mask, or is that a different actor?
1: It's hard. I couldn't – I was thinking of that as well. I would think it would be, but I mm-hmm. – y- you sort of – I don't know. I guess actually it, it doesn't make sense in the story for it to be. It, it makes right. sense that it was a different person um, there is, because he hasn't
0: – There is an actor who I believe in this episode and definitely in the third episode was credited as John – as in John Osterman. And I think the third episode, that's because there was the painting. Yeah. So it was probably him and the painting. Uh, and then this one, maybe he played that body and they did some dialogue tweaks because it almost sounds like Yao yeah, dual Mateen's voice, but a little lighter and fuller and a little higher than his regular voice. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it's interesting i 'm not one hundred percent sure what choice they went for.
1: if I had to put money on it i'd say it's not uh, just because they're so meticulous with those story points um, mm-hmm. but in another show, I would think it would be him and it's just like because that that makes sense in another just as a from a casting point of view and a production point of view like have him he is the character, so you we would have him do it and we'll just shoot around him mm-hmm. so you don't ever see his face because you're not he, he probably doesn't have the cow face at that point,
0: right. Uh, so sorry, th- those were most of my notes for that point. Uh, do you want to keep talking through it? Well,
1: uh, just something to talk about. I mean, uh, talking about the way Dr. Manhattan is presented, like he's sort of, um, like a jerk, especially when it comes to, um, his, his, his partners, his, mm-hmm. as you say, his last human girlfriend, he's not super nice to her and you, um, I, you should always be nice to your last human girlfriend, the old adage, uh, <laughs> And he's uh he's sort of careless as he's sort of losing his humanity. He doesn't care for people's feelings, and so when he walks into the bar, and so, is he's clearly glommed on to Angela, and he's like, "You, we're gonna date." And you sort of think like, "What's why is he just being uh being a, this continuing this thing of like, oh, it's just something he's doing arbitrarily, or he sees a young woman, he's like, I want that right now, like mm-hmm. he did with um with Lori." Uh, and so the fact that the story starts there and builds into this great sort of retroactive love story, I thought, was was great. And they do a great job of making him – us feel dubious of him. We're with Angela this whole time. Mm-hmm. This, like, very strange stranger walks up to her in the bar, and she's, like, humoring him. She's sad. She's alone um, on this day of all days. And she's like, yeah, I'll tolerate this guy. He's at least interesting. Despite the fact that he's all blue and like in costume on Vivienne Day, which can you imagine being like, oh, yeah, me and my friends are going to paint ourselves blue because of this national (laughs) patriotic holiday. It's like, okay, go do anything else with your afternoon. I mean, I
0: don't know. On every July 4th, I paint my whole face with an American flag. Very detailed. But I do it with the Vietnamese star, so it has all 51 stars on it. That's cool. Yeah,
1: you've been an early adopter of Vietnam as the 51st (laughs) state.
0: Uh, I knew what was happening. I always knew what was going to happen. Uh, On the flip side of it, a lot of what I was thinking about during the episode, and I'm sure this is completely an appropriate thing to do, but let's rate Dr. Manhattan's girlfriends, right? Wow, okay. Yeah, mostly in terms of physical attractiveness. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. No, I actually, what I was trying to do was think about Angela compared to Laurie Blake and how he related to her compared to Jenny Slater and how he related to her. And certainly we have a lot more information about Laurie Blake and a lot more information about Angela than we do about Jenny Slater. But we certainly get to see a little bit of how... Him being Doctor Manhattan affected the relationship, and there's also all of them have the same sequence. There's a sequence with Jenny Slater, a sequence with Laurie Blake, and a sequence in this episode with Angela Abar where they're in bed and have a fight. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing across the board. So I think that's a touch point where you can kind of look at how are these relationships comparable, and in my mind, it feels like he. Date at the Laurie Blake's pretty clear to me. It feels like Laurie Blake, he dated, he was with because Laurie needed him. And he felt mm-hmm. like, oh, well, she's wants to date me, so I am going to date her. But yeah. he was never completely 100% into her. He didn't necessarily love her. It was just, well, this is how what I am going to do, so I am going to do this.
1: Right. Jenny it just Slater. made sense. It was convenient. And also, I think he was like, oh, f- finally, a younger g- girlfriend. <laughs> like he <laughs> Right. He there was that side of it was felt like part of it as well.
0: Yeah. Jenny Slater was him holding on to his humanity. And I think, again, it felt like this obligation of, well, I was dating her before. Nothing's really different now, other than the fact that I'm big and blue and control Adam. So
1: why not just continue? That'll be and, fine. I, I'm sure he would be grasping for, mm-hmm. he was like, my whole life has changed because of this uh, this proton accident. Uh, why I should hold on to the, these bits of the past so I don't lose them. I mean, if you had to put it down into sort of the uh, the way a lot of people date is Jenny's sort of the high school girlfriend that he moves mm-hmm. on to college by becoming a blue god. And he's like, so he's like oh, I don't want to break up. And then it's like, well... It's over, and sort of breaks up in a shitty way. Then um uh Lori, sort of the the college girlfriend, it's like, oh, we're here. It's convenient. We're together. She uh, lives on my floor. Uh, we yeah, have a lot of and,
0: interests. Yeah, and let's also – let's experiment. Sometimes there's three of me. We'll see what happens. Yeah.
1: Classic college situation, uh, the old one-man thruple, as it's known. Uh, And then in this episode, Angela feels like a match. Like He feels like Mm -hmm. he's met someone. By the end of the episode, it's like she's the the one person in the world that's like, hey, man, I know you can see through time a little bit, but fuck you. I'm going to do this. And it's uh, obviously a tragic choice that she does, but he loves that about her, that despite the the fact that he's a God, she's still like, chill, dude, I'm going to make this choice that I want to make. And that's that's beautiful and amazing.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, I don't want to undervalue either of the previous relationships, but it just exactly like you're saying, feels like a relationship between equals and... It's interesting to watch, particularly later in the episode, how Yaya plays Dr. Manhattan, because you could play Dr. Manhattan very monotone. You could play it very even the entire time. But he lets humanity seep into his performance, where you really do get a sense of that cow below the Dr. Manhattan, where it's mostly in the corner of his mouth as well, where it just... It'll curl up at a little bit of a smile. His eyes won't even really change at all. But you know, that's all you need to know to know he loves her. And it's wonderful.
1: It, yeah, and uh, like even if it's – whether or not it's a, an actual aspect of the cow personality underneath Dr. Manhattan, you could also explain it that Dr. Manhattan is in love. So he recaptures some of that humanity that he has lost um, by being this uh, all-powerful being – when you fall in love, like that brings him back to humanity. So he has those little, like see, he smiles a little bit. He, he's less cold. He's a little bit more of a human. I think the entire, as a character going forward and that, I think that's a great advancement that they made in this series coming out of the comic book.
0: Yeah. This gets into another question that I was certainly thinking about and discussing a little bit. Uh, And maybe this is jumping too far ahead, but The period—so just to give you guys the broad overview of the episode, just very briefly, we get to see him as Dr. Manhattan. We've seen the period, a lot of the period, of where he was Cal, Abar, not aware he was Dr. Manhattan. We get to see the end of the episode where he is Dr. Manhattan again. I am trying to grasp my head around, does he have the memories of the ten years where he was Cal— or does he not have those because of the device that's I think he head.
1: I think he does I think what happened because the the device was designed to make him just forget that he has powers that 's why he mm-hmm. he just he knows everything else about uh Cal as Cal um, he just assumes whatever is Angela' telling him is true about his life. You had amnesia you were in an accident we're we 're together. Uh, we live in Tulsa. Like all those things that Angela fills him in on his life are, he's like, you just had an accident and you lost your memories. So he is Dr. Manhattan the whole time. Then he lives as Cal. And when the device comes out, he's struggling to sort of reconcile it. But I, mm-hmm. my take was that he has all those memories. And that's why he, fought, he, he knows he loves her because he's, he's experienced their, their whole relationship as well, forward and backward. Yeah, Uh, that was
0: sort of my take as well. I think uh, you touched on this a little bit, but when he finally comes out of it, I get the sense that all of those Cal memories are still jumbled up in there and he hasn't been able to sort through them, which is why when they're having the conversations back in Vietnam, he's not 100 percent sure about those 10 years because they essentially have like five, maybe 10 minutes after he becomes Doctor Manhattan, before shit really goes down, that's probably yeah. not enough time for him to be like, "Great, now I have ten years of Cal memories and Doctor Manhattan memories, so it's he's able to understand what's going on while not necessarily comprehend that period of time because it is blocked by this tachyon emitter or whatever it's called."
1: Yeah. I, that's the way I took it um I'm sure some people will have the opposite take um but I think mm-hmm. it's it's a more satisfying episode if that time wasn't just erased to me then it's like oh what was it for like you want him to when we he's not dead yet uh obviously despite what he said he's just been teleported by the uh the the bad guys, um, the Seventh Cavalry, but it would be very unsatisfying to me if he just comes out of that and he's like, "Hey, I'm Doctor Manhattan again." Oh, should I kill <laughs> these people? And then I get killed. Like that to me is like yeah. not what the, it's about. It's about this I, love and this relationship. Exactly. Um, uh, all right, but, but I mean that there was, there was a little a, bit of so a side much...
0: trip. But let's get back to it.
1: Yeah, let's get back, because there's so much plot that happens in this episode. Um, yes. So he's he's in uh, he's in costume, he's wearing a mask. I thought that was very cool, just uh, throughout the whole scenes with uh, Angela in Vietnam. Um, he talks about how it's not him on Mars, it's a recording, a decoy. He's actually on Europa, explains mm-hmm. his powers. We, we get to see him creating life, um, and explains all of the uh, weird shit we've seen, um, the Ozymandias stuff, uh, which was cool yeah. to see that just laid out. Uh, directly for us
0: yeah absolutely i mean explaining so we get to see him create this dome on europa we see it close which gives it a very clear structure we see him pull phillips and crookshank out of the water create them as the first people they're shocked um i really like the shot actually i like the sparse use of nudity in this episode I think everybody was kind of expecting a lot of hanging dong from Dr. Manhattan, but the way they used it instead, mostly back nudity uh, was nice and made sense. And the one shot was pretty great where you actually did get to see it, just the way
1: that it happened, the way that it was framed. With with Ozymandias. uh, Yeah. I thought that was great. It made it like a great little sort of joke almost, but Mm -hmm. like, and it showed Dr. Manhattan's sort of innocence, where he's like, oh, right, I'm, this is weird for you. I don't care, <laughs> uh, but yeah, am the,
0: the reason I bring it up here, though, I thought there was this really nice shot of the just-born 1st Phillips and 1st Cruikshank walking with Dr. Manhattan and the three of them. And they're all nude from behind, but they're all walking with the same gait across yeah. the field. Uh, and it gave them this sense of evenness. Throughout that, I th- again, I just thought it was really well directed. And I believe this one was directed by Nicole Yassel, who directed the first two episodes. So it was really good to see her back for this one because she's yeah. awesome.
1: Especially this episode spans so much of the different aspects of the show. Like there's we get this backstory um, where he we learn that. As a kid, when they were hiding from the Nazis, um, he stayed in this manor, and that's the manor that he actually teleports to Europa, mm-hmm. um, where he sees these people having sex. That's They become his Adam and Eve. Um, so the uh, I want to stop here for a
0: moment. So this is the lord and lady of this manor. He explains to Angela that as opposed to everything else on Europa that he created, he actually lifted this manor out of England, right? and uh, stuck it on Europa. So he actually took it there because this is a fascinating phrase to hear Dr. Manhattan say, uh, I feel safe there, is what he says. Uh, You wouldn't expect that Dr. Manhattan wouldn't feel safe anywhere. But I think that does, again, point to the fact that he is fallible. He does feel emotion. He says he doesn't feel emotion, but he actually does. And I think that's what they really get right in this episode.
1: And also, it was sort of like, Like he's going to Europa to create life in the same way that like we uh, as humans, we nest a little bit before we like have children, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what he's doing. Like he's bringing the things that when he was a kid made him feel safe, made him like in this period where he was like literally running from the Nazis with his father. And so he's like, oh, I want this around as I work on this great experiment of my life. And I thought that was sweet. It made him – if the theme of this episode is Dr. Uh, Doctor Manhattan's humanity returning, this was another great subtle example of that. Uh, now, two things that I'll mention. One, I
0: was surprised that Phillips and Crookshanks were characters that we've never met before. There's been so much speculation that they were perhaps – John Osterman and Jenny Slater, or two other characters we've known previously, or something like that. But the fact that we'd never met them before I thought was kind of fascinating. The other thing, and this is definitely by Jewish sprug out when I saw this, but it it was weird, and I didn't know what to take away from it, that they're Jewish in 1936 fleeing the Nazis, but they kind of casually mention that, and then they hand him a Bible, and they're like, Adam and Eve, isn't that cool? Look at this Christian Bible and they're yeah. they're very cool about it, like they 're very like <laughs> whatever you want to believe that's all good. Just read this great book and enjoy this great book. Uh, but the fact that this show has been so careful with so many African American issues, so many uh, Vietnamese issues and other things that the two times they 've dealt with Jewish things in the show this and the shitler's this thing they 're like, yeah. yeah, this is kind of tossed off information. It's fine. I know this is where my brain is focused, but again, yeah. it jumped out at me. It's like, I'd, I'd like a little bit more. That would be nice.
1: Can we stay on yeah. this for a second? Or well, is I This is a this, weird moment. I think the show is not interested in religion for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe because they're dealing with Dr. Manhattan as a god, they don't want to get into that whole side of the the debate or like that as a topic to deal with on this show because they're focusing so much on on the the other things that you mentioned because i think they do they use the fact that they're jewish as the story point to get them on the run in england Mm -hmm. and the bible as a story point to get them to adam and eve because but to your point i think it is odd that it's like he's jewish but then he gloms so hard on this christian story But not in a way that it's like, I think this is, I believe this now. He's just like, yeah, I'll make an Adam and Eve. Yes.
0: Yeah, I think that's the main thing. And again, I don't dislike the show because of that or anything like that. It just, perhaps the idea is it would complicate things too much if then you're like... On top of all of the inherited trauma and racial issues that we're dealing with, also, let's talk about Nazi Germany. Yeah. You know, it just it adds an extra layer of complexity to it that maybe isn't necessary and convolutes things too much. Um, but if there is a second season, perhaps there is something they could delve into a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. is That leaves religion as a topic, mm-hmm. especially if Dr. Manhattan does die in the next episode. A dead god is... Something to talk about in the second season about focusing on religion. Yeah. Now, was the, the. the? Oh, go
0: ahead. Oh, all I was going to say is another note it, uh, is uh, young Job Osterman is running through the halls of this manor. Uh, he says uh, that they were like a maze and that he hides in a cabinet and sees the Lord and Lady of the Matter having sex, it reminded me a lot of Looking Glass's origin. And I don't think it's necessarily Mm. pointing to anything so much as another one of these visual parallels that they have going on. Him going through the Hall of Mirrors, going through the maze there, that being his first sexual experience, this being young John's first experience with sex. Again, I think it comes down to that rhyming, like you were saying.
1: Yeah. Um, Now, was that uh, piece of art in the Bible, was that Dave Gibbons? It must have been, right? I thought so, because especially if they're like saying, look, here's a creation myth. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, you have Dave Gibbons, the creator, uh, one of the creators of Watchmen, draw that. I thought that was nice. So it it was only on screen for a split second. I'm just going to – I think we can assume it was that.
0: (laughs) Right. I certainly hope so. I mean, it was – Very clearly not Bible art of the time.
1: (laughs) No, it was, it was comic book. It was comic book art. Also, it was like a Bible with one illustration total, it felt like, which is uh, also weird.
0: Yeah. Uh, But yeah, great scene. uh, Interesting
1: origin. Um, uh, Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Moving on. Uh, So... uh, I want to talk a second about there's, uh, the music in this episode. Um, there's so much backing music and bed music, and we get this um, the Tunnel of Love as this song that um, it's your favorite song, and I thought this was just a good joke. Uh, it's, a, it's your favorite song, and she's like, "I've never heard this before." and that's, well, it's not your song yet. Now that you've met me, it will be because of this moment we're living in right now. That was a cool thing. But the scene that I'm talking about where we are right now, is uh, a song from a Black Mirror episode. Um, from the the episode where um, uh, it's the singing competition, and it's in a, oh, yeah. a future where everyone is earning, you earn points, and the guy gives points to the girl so she can go sing, and she sings this song. Um, and I thought that it made me think, and maybe this is just me, but that this episode sort of feels like a Black Mirror episode in some ways. Interesting. It has like some of the uh, that standalone uh, value, standalone story, and it's like. If you didn't see anything else but this episode and it's like about a man who has the ability to see all of his life at once and how a love story would work in that way, Mm -hmm. I think it does sort of stand alone and as a black mirror thing where you have a device you put in your brain where you forget the things you need to forget so that you can be happy.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that, and it certainly has a pretty dark ending to it, uh, though yeah. like a lot of more recent Black Mirrors, it also ends in a very romantic way, or at least a slightly more positive way, without totally kicking you in the nuts. Maybe more yeah. San Junipero than, say, Metalhead or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I thought that was a nice—I don't know if that was the uh, intention of using that song, but I, I it, mm. it had that effect on me. Um so they they're continue talking, it's a nice twisty conversation, and then we get the flashback uh to the morgue, uh, where they're pulling bodies out. <laughs> she pulls three bodies and then pulls a fourth that is Cal Jelani, who he becomes. And so, that made me think uh, Yeah, this yeah, scene ahead. was this scene was the weirdest one of the episode, I thought. Yeah. Uh,
0: and this- it was like
1: go ahead. Oh, I was going to say is it
0: felt like this was another one where we were missing information that there was information we didn't weren't given (laughs) because Angela throws, shows the three bodies and says here, these are three people. They have no family. Uh, Nobody's going to miss them. Nobody's going to know that if you take over their body, uh, there's going to be no problems. And Dr. Manhattan says, you know, if there's another body you're more comfortable with, we could go with that one. She's like. Thinks for a second and says, "Well, I guess there's this one. I guess I'd be comfortable with this one." And it seems like there's something more there, right?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was odd, and it made me think. Is like, like, why did you wait on this other body? <laughs> like, and is right. it about that you were attracted to this corpse, uh, or like, it was just the whole thing was a little weird. Was it a was it a race thing? Was it a like the whole thing was like? it was confusing and then it was left unexplained why it was told in that way. Uh, so I, I thought it was odd, but, but, but fine.
0: I mean, the thing that I took away from it and I, I don't know. I mean, we can certainly talk towards the end of this episode because I have no clue how they're going to wrap up everything in one single hour to conclude the series at this point, because there's an insane amount of things that need to happen. But, it felt to me like Angela knew this guy. He, She knew Calvin Yelani, or however you pronounce his name. Uh, because when Dr. Manhattan ultimately takes on his face, the way she looks at him and touches his face, it doesn't feel like she's touching Dr. Manhattan. It feels like she's seeing this guy alive again to yeah. me, you know?
1: So but I don't I, know.
0: I, but to what I end? I just would... T-
1: it would be cra- yeah it' would be crazy if they spend some time in the next hour being like, "Actually, she went on a date with Cal Yolani." Uh, <laughs> once, and it was like why why we 've moved past that so i don 't know like it it definitely felt like we are missing information here, um, and maybe it 's something that they're like oh we don 't have space in the episode we 'll have to cut out why uh, this happened and it just leaves a little hanging uh, question there.
0: yeah, but it 's definitely the way Regina King is playing it is very different from how she's playing everything else. I'll also mention just on that note, I loved how she gives different notes to a younger Angela than the one we've seen. It feels consistent with the character that we've seen so far, 10 years down the road. But she's clearly younger. She's a little sassier. She's much happier across the board. Yeah. And what's clearly been happening is she has spent 10 years loving Calvin, having a good life, getting these three kids, but knowing that she's closer and closer to the point of tragedy as he tells her is going to happen. And that's just hyping up everything in her performance. Uh, yeah. So I love that through line. It, it just felt very consistent to me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Her performance was great in this episode and you see as you jump through time you can distinctly see the different way she's playing the different Angelas, and that's just so good so smart yeah um so we get the the fight the sex scene into the fight that we talked about earlier um they fight he vanishes um and there's a thing that happens during
0: the fight so this is he tells her that we're going to have a fight And it's exactly, as we mentioned earlier, it's exactly the same thing that happens with Laurie Blake. It's exactly the same thing that happens with, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking her name? Uh, Jenny Slater. Jenny Slater, thank you. Uh, Where... uh, He tells them they're going to have a fight, and that essentially seems to be the thing that causes the fight, because they're like, I don't want to have a fight with you. And he's like, we're going to have a fight. I don't want to have a fight with you. We're we're going to have a fight. They're like, fine, we're fighting now. But the way that this is played again, I thought was great, uh, where Angela is angry, but knows she just needs to give this to him because this is how his existence is. So yeah. it's partially a fight and partially her walking it through him because they're on this even plane. But there's an interesting moment to the middle, which I might be reading too much into it. Uh, although I don't think there's any point where you could do too much reading into with the show. Uh, but he's telling her. About his timeline He's like Well and I'm at Gila Flats right now Where my watch Is and put in the uh, Inductive field uh, Inductive fields Chamber Generator Yeah Generator uh, I think And uh, She's like Oh so you're Dying I didn't write down What she wrote But He says, so that's how she says uh, something about that's happening right now. And he says, no, Angela, he doesn't answer her. He says, no, Angela, I'm being torn apart right now. And I think what he's actually referring to is what happens at the end of the episode, not the event in Gilla Flats.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Which I think is a little bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah. Oh, God. Stressful. Yes. Um, This episode, if I can make a larger observation real quick, this episode is one of those pieces of like entertainment that is great, but also inherently frustrating. Cause you see characters that you like making choices that result in bad things happening for them. Yeah. And it's, it's a, there's a stress associated with watching like shows and movies that have this, that drives me crazy. Uh, and this definitely had it. The biggest example of that. Uh, another thing that has that is the end of dumb and dumber. <laughs> Okay. When they're, I mean, We may be the only podcast that makes this connection I don't uh, think so I think they're going to do it on the official one too Yeah, uh, but at the end of Dumb and Dumber When they're the, the bus pulls up with all of the models And they don't get on There's a frustration to that Where I'm just like, <laughs> oh god I just want them to not blow it And I felt that same feeling in this uh, episode Where it was like, oh, just make better choices And uh, it doesn't happen
0: Well, I think that gets back to the central idea of the episode, right, where he tells her, we're going to have 10 years together, we're going to have kids, and then we're going to experience tragedy. And she asks him, she says, why would we ever do that? Why would I do that if there's going to be tragedy? And he says two things to her. One, he says, haven't you done anything you've ever regretted? Uh, And then he also says that, by definition, don't all relationships end in tragedy, Great, which is like, A fucking deep Line that normally I Don't write down lines That hard during an episode but that was a line Where I was like I feel like I gotta get that Tattooed on my
1: arm or something Because I hope you do Now can you relate that to Dumb and Dumber at all Or not Uh, yeah it's uh, (laughs) (laughs) by, By definitions
0: Don't all relationships end in tragedy is Like when he's pooping in the toilet Yes. Where it's just going and going and going and it ends eventually. Yes. And, and tragedy.
1: But it's tragic. Um, yeah. No, that line was so – just what a great – what a well-written line. Right. Um, such but, a smart observation. Uh, the reason I bring
0: that up now is to your point, and I think that gets to the romantic crux of the episode, is – almost is the risk worth the, puni- worth the punishment instead of is the risk worth the reward? And that's the same thing Adrian Veidt is dealing with, which we'll be talking about in a second. But ultimately, the decision that they make is these 10 years being in love and being together are worth whatever happens next, whatever heartbreak happens next. And that's what all great romance is about, is them choosing each other instead of whatever's going to happen to them.
1: Yeah. And, uh oof. Um, but, but before but yes, we get it to that, stressful. it's stressful, yes. Uh, before we get to all that, um, we get uh, this uh, scene with um, uh, Dr. Manhattan, uh, now Cal, at Ozymandias' uh, Antarctic base in Antarctica, which yeah, Karnak, is sort of... Yeah which has sort of fallen apart a little bit. And I thought this whole sequence was sort of the sequel, the Watchmen sequel, the most mm-hmm. sequel uh, of anything we've seen in the show so far. And I thought this was great. It really hit that sort of thirst of like, Oh, this is what happened after Mm -hmm. with these specific people and places. And I thought it was great.
0: Well, the way that they perfectly recreated Karnak off of Dave Givens drawings in this episode, I mean, I know most of it was probably CGI modeling or whatever, but it looked perfect, like absolutely perfect. It was worse for the wear, which I thought was a pretty clear reference to the whole Ozymandias poem, the look on my work, she mighty in despair, (laughs) but the statue of Ozymandias is broken down and crumbling which is exactly what's happening here he's still sitting in front of his bank of TVs except his remote isn't working the TVs yeah. aren't working great. Uh, and i love the detail of just the way that he's making the squid rain that he's basically doing it manually still
1: yeah and it's he's just so plugging funny.
0: these quarter inch cords into things and the squids are just like blurping out of this pipe is great
1: yeah, and it's sort of like uh like time to make the donuts. Like oh fuck, I gotta make it rain squid in Chicago for the next hour. Yeah, no, like, it's so funny.
0: I do wonder, since he has been gone for eight years, how are the squids still raining? If that's yeah. so, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I again, I don't want to be like eh, don't worry about it too much. I assume it's Lady True. He left some sort of in in the
1: case of my disappearance take care of this type thing, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah I think that's uh, probably it. Um, there's actually a lot in this scene worth, uh, worth talking about, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, There's this line that's right after the squid stuff um, is, a little elephant told me, mm-hmm. um, in reference to um, Dr. Manhattan talking about um, uh, Will Reeves and all that. And uh, what is that about? That's Lady True. Right. Clearly. How does she, does that maybe point to the fact that she somehow has Dr. Manhattan like powers in that she at that time would know about the entire story or what?
0: Mm, Potentially. I think more. It just points to, we know from a bunch of the back matter that they were business partners. I don't remember the exact timeline, but I believe she bought him out after he disappeared but she had already bought a large chunk of his company because his company had failed yes. after the squid explosion. He had lost a ton of money, a ton of support, and she came in and I believe bought a controlling interest of the company or large chunks of it or something like that. So they certainly know each other, but it sounds like kind of what we've suspected for a while that they've been working together beyond that. So potentially whatever Lady True's plan is may also be... Adrian Veidt's plan.
1: Yes, but how do, would Lady True be connected to Will Reeves at this point? I don't know. I, I mean, that, the, I, yeah. unless I'm, I mean, heard it incorrectly, that is what I thought they were referencing. Is because um, Doctor Manhattan's talking about how he has to go do a couple other things, um, uh, uh, and so uh, is
0: it Will Reeves? I think it was before that. I, I don't think it's reference to Will Reeves. I think it's him being on earth or not
1: being on Mars or something like that. Yeah, maybe, uh, I can't tell in my notes cause right after that, they talk about how he knows he's in love. I thought they were talking about, um, Angela Abar and what her origin is. Um, anyway, uh, I, there was something, there's something about a little elephant told me was, uh, sure. felt like a pin was put in that. Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, I mean, I think a lot of what we're going to find out in this final episode is what is the connection between lady true and, Uh, Adrian Veidt, is he her father, like a lot of people have suspected? Do they have some other connection? Is he in the gold statue? All of these things we've been talking about. I think we're going to get definitive answers on them next episode. Uh, There's another exchange that happens right before that, though, where Veidt calls him out on having Cal's face, where he says, it's not the 80s anymore. You can't just do this thing, which I thought was A, so funny, but B...
1: Kind of weird that they sort of brushed past it And used that as their excuse for it Especially using the word problematic specifically And then being like, hey, it's problematic And then sort of a joke about the 80s I thought was It was almost being like, go ahead This is where, if you want to come for us, here's the scene Yeah It is interesting
0: though, because Given the way the show has been so far I feel like there's a lot that could Be done, and maybe it will be done more next episode Though I, I sort of doubt it On the fact that the most powerful man in the world has changed from a white man, a white Jewish man to a black man and appropriated that face. I think the thing that you potentially could say in its defense is Angela is giving him permission and it is Angela's idea. So it's not like, He's putting on blackface. It's He is becoming this other person, which is a very different sort of thing.
1: And, you know, maybe that explains her hesitancy in the scene we were questioning before of mm-hmm. opening that. She opens – because are the, the first three people she pulls out, are they all white dudes?
0: Uh, I think there's a white dude, probably a Vietnamese dude. He was certainly Asian
1: and maybe another white dude, yeah. It's interesting because maybe that's – she was like, well – I'm not going to say he should become this black man hmm, because that would be weird. But then, then he sort of pushes her into that choice. Maybe that could be that could explain it. But it's still, uh, to your point, there is a lot uh, that they could unpack there. And I would think the show has put such a focus on unpacking uh, race, trauma, and things associated with that that they might want to do that
0: right i I think so too i mean that said this was i believe the longest episode so far so it's possible they just might not have had the time to deal with that in between everything else they needed to deal with and make this an effective love story which is what they did
1: yeah um uh, running forward i think um there's just a great scene where ozymandias is like oh you're in love again you idiot i thought that was just played really Mm -hmm. nicely um the the doubling line of your profound lack of imagination. You must have a wild imagination. That was a sweet sort of almost middle point of the episode where mm-hmm. the two strings, uh, we meet and then keep go off in the, the either direction. I thought that was cool. I thought we got a, a our new version of, um, I did it 35 minutes ago was mm-hmm. I made it 30 years ago, which I yes. thought was so subtly done and great <laughs> to hear. It was great. Uh, And
0: he reveals that back in the day in the, I want to say it's final issue of Watchmen, when Dr. Manhattan shows up, he traps him in a tachyon generator and makes him explode. Though Dr. Manhattan immediately reforms himself and comes back into Karnak, bursting a big hole in the wall with his giant body. Uh, What Veit reveals is that was actually his plan B. His plan A was to get him to use this uh, tachyon emitter, the smaller one, put it in his head and erase his memory. I don't know how he was going to get him to do that
1: necessarily. Yeah, that's, that's probably why it didn't work. It was like, right, well, I made the device, but how do I get it in his brain? And now he uses love to do it. Yeah. And he does get it. Uh,
0: he gives it to him. Uh, Dr. Manhattan explains that he has other things, other jobs to do. But we also get a very clear underlining of Vite's character, which Vite reveals, he says, I did this whole thing. I saved the world. But other than myself and a couple of people, nobody knows and nobody's thanked me. And yeah. so Dr. Manhattan explains, well, I created this world on Europa with these people who love me. They're just looking for somebody to adore. I find it boring. Maybe you'd like that. And Vite starts crying and says, yes, that would be nice. And he sends him there. Now, uh, two thoughts off of this. Uh, Well, actually, one main thought I think it boils down to. Is Vite being truthful here? Or is this all part of his plan as well?
1: Uh, To me, I thought it was a a moment of weakness um, where he's just so tired. He's tired of fighting uh, to, like, keep to he's stressed out by watching the world nothing's changed uh he stopped this one thing but everyone's still miserable all of his business has failed like i think he is like truly exhausted and so i think i believe him in that moment that he does want to go to this utopia so
0: then to that point we know based on the candles at the end of the episode that he's been there for seven years at this point uh when did he start to hate it do you think
1: I think well we I think we he started to hate it pretty like year 1. When we see him at the beginning of the um season in episode 1, he's frustrated, but he also does say, I mean this is a something for later perhaps with a horseshoe. He's like, "Don't give that to me yet." So he does seem like he's aware of the timeline.
0: Right. That's the only that is the main thing that horseshoe that makes me wonder how much of this was purposeful on his part, because if a year in he already had this plan that was going to pay off in year seven, when did he come up with that? And potentially you could say, okay, he's Adrian Veidt. He's the smartest man in the world. He could come up with that in a week and lay down that plan and that would be fine. Uh, And certainly there's a lot of time where we don't see what's going on there, but it almost feels to me like Part of his plan was I need to be taken off the board for seven to eight years in order for whatever it is to work.
1: But what is he, what's he, I mean, he's getting old. What's he in, what's his plan for at this point to get I back on top? Get younger.
0: I mean, we've talked about how Lady True. Is created a younger version of her mother. Maybe she created a younger version of Adrian Veidt, who may or may not be her father. It also might be to get Dr. Manhattan powers as well. You know, he looks yeah. at everybody loves Dr. Manhattan and talks about Dr. Manhattan all the time, but they never talk about Adrian Veidt. So maybe that's what he wants. He wants the adulation, he wants the cheering
1: for the crowds. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't know. Um, uh, and I mean, well, I guess we'll talk about that in a second. So they um, – back on uh, – he vanishes. He goes to um, the uh, Europa. We, we'll see more of him later. Um, back with uh, Angela and Cal, they decide to start over. They go to Tulsa. Um, and you should uh, mention, so they have this really uh,
0: beautiful scene where she puts the uh, thing, the device, in his head. And as they're talking – and telling they love each other we flash to their shadows of the wall which are the same shadows from the hiroshima lovers that we saw repeated throughout the comic book which i don't think we've seen as imagery on the show yet but essentially if you're not familiar with that that's in the real world when the bombs dropped on hiroshima and nagasaki there are people that are caught in it and their ash were left looking like shadows on the wall uh there's uh That is a theme that was repeated throughout the comic book, where the two lovers holding on to each other in this ash were left behind. And that clearly points to exactly what they've been talking about the entire time, that Cal and Angela are doomed, that their shadows are left behind. The ashes of them are going to be left behind, just like these lovers in Hiroshima.
1: Yeah, uh, spot on. Uh, And then we get this exchange of, can you give someone your powers? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, put the powers into an organic object and they can transfer them. Uh, This is clearly what's going to, is going to play into the next episode.
0: Yeah. This, Uh, so there's uh, two potential ways this could go. Uh, One, it could be, we know the seventh cavalry's plan is to turn themselves into Dr. Manhattan's. We now know it is how it is possible to get Dr. Manhattan's powers, that he can transfer it through organic materials like food. Uh, he would never do it without somebody's permission, but potentially they could trick him into doing it or force him into doing it in some way, potentially, so that they could, or maybe they just straight up eat him. It's a bunch of cannibals eating Dr. Manhattan. I don't know. But the wow. other thing that happens, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but he walks across the pool and says, It's important that you saw me do that for later. So it seems to me that potentially also considering that, like, as Cal, he's been feeding them eggs. And we've seen scenes of him cooking and he's even making waffles in this episode. Yeah. That he potentially is, in fact, feeding something to Angela or feeding something to the kids or all of them that is going to give their powers to them.
1: Yeah. My first thought was Topher. Um, mm-hmm. because of the sort of the – he's had uh, a similar spotlight shined on him that Cal had where it's like, why are we paying attention to these characters when they don't seem at all connected to the rest of the story besides being Angela's family? Um, so I, I I think you're right. That to me was the f- one thing which he – and Dr. Manhattan at that point puts the kids somewhere safe and maybe is juicing him up with some uh, – Topher was the one that I
0: thought of as well, particularly—it's a little tricky to think about because we do find out that he, once the device is in his head, he won't use his powers except for unconsciously, uh, essentially as a reflex. So to say that he cooked a bunch of eggs for Topher and gave him Dr. Manhattan powers at some point seems a little ridiculous because it wouldn't necessarily be a reflex, unless that's something that he set for himself as a trigger, as a reflex— before he ever had the device in there But I do think you're right It definitely seems like something is going on with Topher And something is going to happen with Topher And it certainly seems like something with Dr. Manhattan Given that we've seen Blue light in his bedroom before We've seen him washing away The building that he made with the magnetiles The same way that Dr. Manhattan Washed away the matter in the footage on Mars But you know, we'll, we'll see what happens
1: Yeah Yeah um... So then we flash forward to um, where we ended last episode. Uh, We see um, now Dr. Manhattan, now Cal Hatton uh, in the blue. He's glowing. Uh, You should trademark that. Yeah, Cal Hatton. (laughs) Uh, Great little neighborhood uh, on the Upper East Side. Um, He seems a little off. He's uh, disoriented, which is this is when he's at his most vulnerable, both in the comics and in the series. Um, He can't really tell when he is. Uh, we get mm-hmm. the uh, the revelation of what happened on the White Night, where he zaps the guy away, um, and we learn that Angela's pissed at him. Like, where are the kids? Um, and we uh, he sent the kids to Will, um, who is at the uh, theater downtown.
0: You're you're skipping over a very important point, which is a couple of episodes ago. I said it looked like Topher had a stuffed bubastis, and you guys made fun of me. That is definitely a stuffed bubastis toy that he has that he's yeah. holding.
1: And I, so, we only made fun of you just because you focus on the stuffed animals uh, so much uh, <laughs> in the middle of this uh, great television show, but um yes, uh, agreed you you got your revenge. This show is ninety percent about stuffies and like ten percent about inherited trauma yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> uh, no one would argue with that um, so then uh the revelation of the kids are being with will. Um, Takes us to uh, Doctor Manhattan meeting up with uh, with Will. Um, we learn that Will took the inheritance uh, from uh, Captain Metropolis. Nelson Gardner, and, Yeah, uh, and we get uh, um, he wants to team up with Hood of Justice, um, and then we start to get the sort of mistakes uh, here. Um, the conversation across time where um, ask him how he knew about Judd. And yeah, uh, how did
0: he know about Judd Crawford? How did he know about Cyclops? Uh, How did he know about the Ku Klux Klan uh, robe in his closet? And Dr. Manhattan asks him, and he says, who's Judd Crawford? He brings it back to Agile, and Agile's like, oh, shit. Did I cause this? Is this my fault? Now, I'm of the mind that she didn't, that this kind of, like a lot of the stuff with Dr. Manhattan is inevitable, so it's not... It's a time loop. It is a paradox that he caused, she caused, as he talked about. But it's not her fault. It's just part and parcel of how time works in this universe.
1: Um, yes, uh, I agree with you. And Doctor Manhattan says uh, says as much. Like you can't stop this from happening um, with all of the events that sort of transpire. But I do think Angela caused it. She yeah. that moment, that conversation across time was the, the trigger point that caused uh, both. Um, all the Judd stuff, and then uh, a couple, like a scene and a half later, she causes the death of of Cal, of Cal Hatton.
0: Though the other side of the argument is things, and we'll see how they turn out in the next episode. But things potentially could be a lot worse. Uh, yeah, I'm she not hadn't saying said anything.
1: I'm not saying she did the wrong thing. I'm just saying she was the catalyst for all this stuff. And I think right. I mean well, I don't think the show's going to end Seven with Cavalry like well Angela I don't think the show's yeah. going to end with it being like well Angela you fucked up big time and her being <laughs> sad I think it's, we're going to find uh, a resolution here um, she's a hero it's just and she's she's just trying to sort through this insane life that she has right and at the end of the day Doctor Manhattan is the thing that causes all of it because of his ability to mess with the structure of uh, of time and and events but she's definitely the, f- she pushed over the domino.
0: Yeah. Uh, if anything, the part that is her fault potentially is deciding to move with Dr. Manhattan to Tulsa. Not, I think saying this thing because the seventh Cavalry would have still existed. If Judd Crawford hadn't died, nobody would have known about their plans. None of this would have happened. Potentially lady true would have stopped it, but Dr. Manhattan needs to be there for the Seventh Cavalry's plans to go from becoming taking over the presidency to taking over the world, right? Right, yeah. So, so that, if anything, is a mistake, I think, not causing the paradox. Though, yes, to your point, yeah, that is her fault as well. But, and, and everything's just to- her fault.
1: Everything's her fault. Uh and to just to button up, we get the the moment where he fell in love with her, is her fighting against him and going outside, and then oh. she shoots a bunch of people and then gets caught. He goes outside to save her because she wouldn't listen to uh what he was she was bucking his his prediction and then because he goes out to save her, he gets zapped by the uh by the forced teleportation. So what yeah, a just one of those oh. things where you're just trying to grasp be like, wait, oh, just don't, and then it happens, and it's yeah. heartbreaking.
0: Several things about this that I love that I do to doubt. Uh, first of all, I don't know if we've heard it before. I don't think this was Cal and Angela's theme, but it's definitely introduced in this episode, and the music has been phenomenal across the board. It seems to me that they introduced Dr. Manhattan and Angela's love theme in this episode, which is what's playing under that action scene, uh, as she tries to save him and then he tries to save her. It's absolutely a gorgeous piece of music. But because they bring up the music over the action, you can't really hear the gunplay or the fighting or anything like that. It almost seemed to be like it was a romantically motivated action scene, which is something that I don't think I've necessarily seen before. Yeah, Like it's it's the way... Angela is telling Doctor Manhattan she loves him is by going out and killing these dudes, and he's yep. doing the same thing. And it is uber violent, but that's how it plays. It plays like two people who love each other, and that's beautiful.
1: It is, and like Doctor Manhattan doesn't need to go out there, and he doesn't need to like physically blow each of them away individually with his hand. Like he could just snap his fingers and they'd all go away. But he goes yeah. out there and he performatively fights them and kills them to protect her. And I thought that was, that was a love move. That was like yeah. being a hero as opposed to just like getting it done. And yeah. that's what ends up with causing him to be shot.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, pretty clearly based on what he said at this point, they've haven't killed him. They've teleported him away, probably put that in him in that cage where Laurie Blake is currently Tied in front is going to see him appear there, and that's going to be yeah,
1: that's the whole great. thing. What a great setup for them to uh, have like a fucked up conversation. Yeah, that's gonna he's be like I accident. just fell in love with um, a girl, a woman you don't like. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and then we uh, flash
0: back to Vietnam, and they have their last conversation. Which is their first conversation, where he says, by definition, don't all relationships end in tragedy. He ends up asking her on a date, asking her out to dinner, uh, and she says yes. And that's where the episode ends, except for the end credits tag. The first time that we get an end credits scene, which is Adrian Veidt getting pummeled in the face by those apple tomatoes that he was growing at one after the other, the Philips and Crookshags are coming up to him, shoving them in his face and saying, are you still going to leave? And he says, yes. Are you still going to leave, Master? Yes. And it's so clear now that we've been told it, that the entire time they're doing this because they love him and they want him to stay.
1: This is so good. Yeah, it was. it was. They were like, will you stay, Master? He's like, no. And then just splat. Like, it's so, like... Worshippers encountering their God and being sad, or like children and their father just like mushing tomato in his face. It was super super fun. We get him in the cell with a honey cake. We already talked about this a little bit. Pulls out the horseshoe. We learn that, uh, or sorry, we learn that the warden is the original Adam clone, which I thought was interesting. Great line: Heaven doesn't need me. He needs to leave. And he finds the horseshoe in the cake, which he uses to open a hatch. The hatch Mm -hmm. from Lost, as I've said, all comes back to that. It all ties
0: together. Two details that I'll mention about this. Uh, One, uh, he's reading Fog Dancing again, which is the book that we've seen pop up a bunch of times in a bunch of different hands that is written by uh, the guy who wrote the story of the squid, essentially, for Adrian Veidt and then disappeared. It's interesting to me that Adrian Veidt, in this case, says, no, I rather like this book. We don't know what the plot of Fog Dancing is, but it certainly seems to point to something in terms of what he's doing, I would think. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know.
1: And, I don't know what that is, but yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I just wanted to mention based on what you were saying is I think that it is the God thing and them rejecting, not rejecting God, but being... Uh, Very sad that God is leaving them Uh, But also it gets back to By definition Don't all relationships End in tragedy Because they love him And he wants to leave them And that for them Is their tragedy And for Adrian Veidt It's the same thing Where he thought He was coming to a place Where he'd be loved and adored And it turned out to Not be what he wants After all Yes So just Overall Awesome episode Great episode do you have, before we wrap up here, any big theories or things you want to see in the
1: finale? Um, I, well, like we've talked about, like, I don't know what they're going to do to wrap this up. All the characters are in, uh, like, I, I think we have Dr. Manhattan, Laurie, and uh, Looking Glass all at the abandoned mall um, with the 7th Cavalry. Um, I think we're going to see Will. We have Will and the kids are in downtown Tulsa. I think they're going to play into it. Um, Angela, uh, obviously, she's going to. She doesn't know where the Seventh Cavalry is,
0: so no, I don't know how she's. Point.
1: She's going to have to figure out how to do that. Um, I think Doctor Manhattan is going to die. I've already mentioned that before. I think. Um, I think we're going to get a great scene between Laurie and Dr. Manhattan, and it's going to be an argument, uh, potentially. Um, I think uh, Lady True's plan, we, we've speculated a little bit, uh, a couple things of them, like maybe giving everyone powers, I think was your mm-hmm. theory. Um, I think uh, I had said erasing everyone's memory. Um, mm-hmm. as a potential uh, way of evening the playing field. And I think this episode dealing with memory so much with Dr. Manhattan maybe speaks to that a little bit. Um, I don't know. What about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think all of that. The thing that I'm most curious about is whatever is going on with Lady True and the Millennium Clock. That certainly seems to be pointing to what the squid of it at all is going to be for the finale. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I'm curious about is how much to use your word again, uh, rhyming there's going to be with the first episode, whether we're going to go back to that street in Tulsa. And I've... I'm sure they do this responsibly. It feels horrific to even think about, but are we going to see something like a modern day Tulsa massacre going on? Since we saw that in the first episode are uh, on our bonus podcast. We talked about this a little bit with our guest, Josh Wigler. Are we going to see a movie playing dead? are we going to see sister night, the nun with the motherfucking gun or something else, or end with the Bass Reeves film in some way? Um, I, in a weird way, I'm very interested In the entire episode But I'm most curious With what image They're going to end it with Because to me That's going to point To the longevity Of this show That really is going to be Whatever that final image is That final thought Is going to be What it leaves people with And the beginning Those first five to ten minutes Were so strong And so powerful Will they be able to Match that in the same way That's what I'm curious to see Yeah
1: Yeah and obviously, I uh, I think Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels will arrive finally mm-hmm. uh, to... <laughs> oh, that *Super* supermodel bus? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool.
0: Uh, main thing you should take away from this podcast, go watch Dumb and Dumber.
1: Great yeah, movie. Yeah, that's the the smartest way we can make a connection to this great show <laughs> The Watchmen is by bringing up Dumb and Dumber.
0: All right, a couple of things before we go. We do a bonus podcast that is only in the Watchmen Watch feed, uh, usually with special guests, where we talk about theories and your comments and ideas, talk about the promo for the final episode and other things. So if you got any thoughts you want to share with us that you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, hit us up, particularly on Twitter at Watch one We love to hear from you there. Also, we have a Patreon Slack. Patreon book comicbookclub you can join it for as low as 2 bucks a month i chat about all of our shows but there's been very healthy discussion about watchmen so we would love to get your thoughts and feedback there as well other social networks you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram Watchmen Watch Podcast. We do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by there and we will chat with you about Watchmen. ComicbookClubLive.com for this podcast and more. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes, Android, Spotify, and Stitcher or the app of your choice. And remember, we taped this podcast 30 years ago.